<laughs> Good morning. And, and I want to say thank you to those of you who've already said that you would miss me. I'm going to miss you too. I am, however, going to be intensely busy and surrounded almost 24-7 by seminarians. Being surrounded by seminarians is a very intense experience. They tend to talk a lot all the time and until the last week of the month about serious subjects. In the last week of the month, we get just pretty hysterical, actually. So, Hosea Ballou, Carlton Pearson, me and you. I think we have, all of us have some things in common with these two men. Hosea Ballou lived in the 19th century mostly and died in 1852. And Carlton Pearson is alive today. He's about my age. And I think these two men have quite a lot in common with each other. Would you raise your hand if you've ever heard of Hosea Ballou? A couple of people. How about Carlton Pearson? Brick doesn't count, and I've been talking to him about Carlton Pearson for a week. Well, you know, I really only learned about Ballou in the last few years of studying Unitarian and Universalist history. And Pearson, really, only in the last few months. They both have fascinating stories. They're both religious men with committed to spiritual practice. And they are men who, through their practices, experienced revelation and awakening and through their awakening became labeled as heretics. But their labeling as heretics didn't stop them from teaching and preaching. Now, I think that both of them would have answers to Neil Young's questions. Did he give me the gift of compassion, etc.? And, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that Pearson probably only very recently learned about Hosea Ballou, if he knows about him at all. And I think that's too bad. I, I wish that I had known about Hosea Ballou when I was a little girl. And I wish that Carlton Pearson had known about Hosea Ballou and what he taught when he was a little boy. And there's two reasons for that, at least two. It, it might have avoided some pain, some struggle in life and coming to some theological sense of belonging and meaning if I had known, if Carlton Pearson had known what Ballou taught. And it also would mean that Ballou was well-known in the world today, so many people would know. And I think when we learn from history, when we see history in the present as well as in the past, we don't have to repeat so much. One of the things about Ballou is that when he was preaching, he was the foremost universalist theologian, minister, teacher, of the early 19th century. And when he was teaching, universalism was the biggest, most rapidly growing denomination in the United States. So my hope about repeating of history is that we and Carlton Pearson may be part of repeating that part of history. So Reverend Kahn has talked about being raised in a culturally Jewish home. Well, I was raised in a culturally Christian, unchurched home. Uh, you might say secular. My mother was a lapsed Catholic who went to Mass when she was upset about something, I think. And I never really heard my father talk about religion at all until his later life when he was a Unitarian Universalist. But Christianity was all around me. In the public schools in the 50s and 60s, in Pennsylvania, the Lord's Prayer was recited every morning. 
No one ever explained it, and I never had any clue what it meant. But it seemed like most of my classmates and most people around me in that time period were going to church. I thought, all my classmates must go to Sunday school. So when I was in fourth grade, I asked my parents to take me to Sunday school. And I don't know if that's because I like school so much that I thought I was missing out by missing a day of school or if I just wanted to do what all the other kids were doing. But in any case, my father got up every Sunday morning, drove me into the city from we lived in the suburbs to a Presbyterian church, dropped me off at Presbyterian Sunday school, and he went somewhere else. I don't know whether he went to his office or to have a peaceful cup of coffee away from home and away from all the kids at home. And I had perfect attendance at that Presbyterian Sunday school for one full year. And I know that because at the end of the year, they gave me a prize book. It was a pictorial atlas of the Holy Lands. And any book was a prize from my nerdy child self. So I remember. But after that, I stopped going. I never went to Sunday school again. And it really stopped my religious education until I was in my late 30s or 40s. Because the Presbyterian Sunday school teacher had taught about the poor children in Africa being condemned to eternal punishment in hell because they had never heard of Jesus. Now, I think the idea was we were supposed to give money to the missionaries so that the children would hear about Jesus. But I started having nightmares, waking up at night with anxiety and fear about the poor children in Africa and maybe about myself, too. This whole concept troubled me emotionally and certainly logically. Why should these kids be punished for something they could have no control over. You know, I identified with those kids. When what kind of a thing was this God who was so mean to punish children forever, forever and ever? So there was no more Sunday school for me. I don't know what my parents taught me, said to me about that, but I am sure that they supported my thinking and my doubts about what I had been taught. I was on my way to being a heretic. If God was love, which was something else that I'd been taught, then that love had to be for everyone. If God redeemed people, as we sang in The Wayfaring Stranger, then doesn't God have to redeem everyone? That's what Hosea Ballou taught in the early 19th century. This man preached as many as three times on Sunday and most nights during the week. They, his son thinks that he maybe preached 10 thousand sermons in his lifetime and they weren't 20 minute sermons either in the early 19th century they were at least an hour long Ballou spoke simply with clear messages he wanted kids to be able to understand them he was the 11th child of a poor Vermont farmer his mother died when he was born and uh his dad also was a Baptist preacher, farming and then traveling around teaching Calvinist doctrines. Again, that some people would be saved, would be redeemed, but most people would be condemned to hell forever and ever. Hosea was a curious, intelligent, logical thinker. He educated himself from the three books in his household. He taught himself to read and to write from the Bible, 
the dictionary, and the one religious pamphlet that his family owned. He had a really quick wit and an easy sense of humor. They said he was really good-looking and had been an athlete. He believed in bringing the body into religion, mind, heart, body, all of us being spiritual and religious people. So as a young man, late teens, early 20s, Ballou became convinced by some preaching, but also mostly by his own reading of the Bible of universalism, that everyone was loved, that everyone was saved. This, his father and others, but his father in particular saw this as heresy. It was just a terrible thing. And he forbade Hosea from bringing any universalist literature into the house. So Baloo took his Bible, he had his own by this time, and he hid it in the woodpile outside of the house. And he would go to the woodpile to read his Bible. I think he was probably fairly conspicuous about this because what happened was then his father asked him what he was reading at the woodpile and Baloo said he was reading universalist literature. So dad in a fury went to the woodpile, pulled out this book and saw that it was the Bible. So Baloo spent most of his life from the time he was 18 till his death, and he lived a long, comfortable, happy life, teaching that God loved everyone. Everyone. He said, love God constantly, and abundant will be your peace. Abundant will be your joy. Kind of sounds a little like Wellsprings to me. Abundant your satisfaction and delight if you love God. He explained his own spiritual practices as signs of God's love, God's mercy and grace. For Baloo, God's love changed the human heart, and that changed heart changed behavior. Now, a lot of 19th century folks, and I fear to say it seems like a lot of 21st century folks, seem to think that fear of punishment is the only thing that keeps people behaving morally and ethically. So, a criticism of the Universalists, and Ballou in particular, was they were taking any reason away for people to behave ethically in society. If we didn't have a fear of hell, what would keep you from being a horrible person? So there was another story told about Ballou. He was riding along, preaching out in the countryside in Vermont and New Hampshire and Massachusetts, and he was riding along with a Baptist preacher who was doing the same thing, and they argued about theology as they went along. Ballou absolutely loved to argue. He, he liked, he felt so strongly about his beliefs that he wanted to convince everyone he came into contact with. So he engaged in these arguments. So the Baptist preacher looked over at Ballou and said, Brother Ballou, if I were a universalist and feared not the fires of hell, what would keep me right now from hitting you on the head, stealing your horse and saddle? I'd ride away and still go to heaven. Baloo looked at him and said, if you were a universalist, you wouldn't even think such a thing. Because <laughs> Baloo believed that people who really believed that they were loved would be loving and compassionate towards other people. The universalist, he said, who surprises his duty 
as peace, his sublime enjoyment is to show men that universalism is an incentive to godly living. Remember, he was a Christian universalist in the 19th century. He believed, too, that humans were motivated by seeking happiness, that people learn, and that God wants people to be happy. His preaching, Baloo's preaching, writing, teaching, were all intended to help people to be happier, to be aware of the abundance in their own lives, and to live more godly lives. So what does this have to do with Carlton Pearson? Carlton Pearson, as a few of you know, is a bishop, was a bishop, in the African-American Pentecostal Church. I, I had heard about Pearson just briefly um, this summer when I took a course in the large church, and one of the teachers was Reverend Marlon Lavinar, who's a minister, senior minister at the All Souls Church in Unitarian Universalist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And he said that this African-American congregation had started visiting their congregation. He was pretty excited about that. But here's, here's how that happened. I heard more about Pearson a couple of weeks ago when he was the subject of the whole hour of the radio show This American Life. The show is called Heretic. And you can get it on podcast, and I encourage you to listen to it. It's pretty interesting to listen to this man. So Blue, Pearson, me, and maybe you, I think probably you, could be called heretics by some people. So Pearson was extremely well-known in the fundamentalist and Pentecostal Christian communities. He... Um, <coughs> was uh, destined to become a preacher. He's a fourth-generation Pentecostal preacher in his family. He started preaching to his little sisters in the backyard with a trash can as a pulpit. And <clears throat> he said that people went to one of two places in his neighborhood where he grew up, in a ghetto in Southern California. They either went to jail or they went to church. So he went to church. And Carlton went to Oral Roberts University when he was college age, and he became the adopted black son of Christian conservative and faith healer Oral Roberts. While he was still an undergraduate, he started his own congregation, which he called at that time Higher Dimensions. Higher Dimensions grew rapidly to be a congregation of 6,000 people with a 30-acre campus and a weekly offering of $60,000. In 97, he was ordained as a bishop. He campaigned for George W. Bush. He was invited to the White House, and he was a presidential advisor, Pearson said, and he was invited to the White House not to clean the floor. Now, central to Pearson's preaching from the time he was six, probably, until his late 40s, was the idea of hell. Pentecostal doctrine poses a choice, it's a, and they see it as a choice for everyone. There's either holiness or hell, jail or church. Pearson said, we were told not to laugh. Stop all that jesting and joking, you know. God gonna get you, the devil gonna get you. So we had that mentality, he said. Be good, be godly, be right, be holy, or you go to hell. He was taught to fear everything, really, 
fear the world around him. He was taught that the world was full of demons and devils everywhere. In fact, he tells a story on this radio show of casting out his first demons when he was a teenager. He helped to organize a youth group meeting, a youth group revival. And his girlfriend was there and she moaned and fainted and the adult wasn't doing anything. And so Pearson had seen this and he said, be gone, you evil spirit out devil. I cast you out. He said he did that for an hour or more. And finally, his girlfriend resumed to normal. He also told a funnier story, I think, about when he was um, dating a Pentecostal woman. They were very serious and having an argument. And he said, I rebuke the devil in you. And she said, I rebuke the devil in you. <laughs> but anyway, one day Pearson had a revelation. And I do mean a revelation. And that's how he experienced it. He was eating supper, watching the television news, as he says, on his big screen TV with his fat-cheeked, healthy little baby daughter with him. And on the TV were pictures of starving African refugees. And here's some of his own words. He says, mostly women and children walking slowly back, trying to come home. There was no light in their eyes. It was a horrible thing for me to see. Emaciated bodies, skeletal bodies, swollen bellies. The babies looking at the moms and the moms staring off into space. It was sad. I'm a man of God, a preacher of the gospel and an evangelist. And I'm looking at these people and I'm assuming they're probably Muslims and going to hell. They probably deserve to go to hell because God wouldn't do that to Christians, I'm thinking. But he hadn't turned off all his empathy and he said, God, I don't know how you're going to call yourself a loving God and allow these people to suffer like that and then just suck them into hell. And I believe it was the spirit of God saying in me, is that what you think we're doing? Is that what you think we're doing? And he, I said, Pearson says, that's what I've been taught. God, I can't save the whole world. He thought he had to go to Africa and evangelize so all these people would know Jesus. And that's when I heard this voice say, precisely, precisely, you can't save the world. That's what we did already. And if you tell them that they are loved and they are redeemed, you wouldn't create these kind of problems on earth that you have. Can't you see they are already in hell? Pearson took this revelation quite seriously. And he began to teach what he calls the gospel of inclusion. God's love is absolute and complete. A choice boldly declaring that God wants relationship with all of humanity. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like us? Does that sound maybe like what I said of Hosea Ballou? He began to teach that God did not condemn people to hell. Indeed, if hell can be thought to exist, it's right here. Hell is a place you go through, not to. We all go through hell. There are people going through hell right now. But it's a hell that either we created for them or they created for themselves. Pearson preaches that all people will be reunited with God. So, as a result of that preaching, in March 2004, the Joint College of African American Pentecostal 
bishops disfellowshipped him and officially declared that all his teaching was heresy. He lost 90% of his congregation. 5,500 of those people went away. You can imagine what happened to the collection with 5,500 people going away. He lost the church building and he lost the campuses. He lost friendships. His family criticized him. He nearly lost his marriage. But Pearson had learned about and felt, experienced unconditional love, universal love in the world. And he continues teaching. If you convince people, he said, they are absolutely and unconditionally loved, that will alter that be- their behavior. Just like Hosea Ballou. So he lost this church in Tulsa. He changed the name to New Dimensions, and they worshipped in a couple of other church buildings on a temporary basis. But now there's a really exciting experiment happening in Tulsa. Pearson and the remaining 500 members of his congregation have begun worshiping at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation, All Souls. Pearson calls Marlon Lavinar, the senior minister, his pastor, and says All Souls is his church. He said, All Souls is an expression of God consciousness in this city. Now, I want you to imagine this. His congregation wasn't completely African-American, but it was mostly African-American. All Souls wasn't completely white, but mostly white. Pentecostals worship with their bodies and their hearts, and they move and they say, Amen, brother, and let, you know, preach it. Well, guys, you're doing what Unitarian Universalists do most of the time. So they have two worship services at All Souls now. They have a a 9 o'clock service that's pretty quiet. In between the worship services, the uh, African-American, mostly African-American, gospel choir does a performance. And at 11.30, they have a contemporary service with the New Dimensions gospel choir. And um, it's a livelier service. So everyone's learning. This is a challenge for everyone. And I um, listened to a, a sermon, a couple of sermons from Tulsa online this week. One was from Marlon Lavinar, who was already the minister, and he was preaching about religious freedom. He said the New Dimensions people have brought a new dimension of religious freedom to all souls. It's about a freedom of how to worship, how to be authentically yourself in the way that you worship. He's saying... Being different is not deficient, not wrong. He encouraged people to try different styles of worship. And he said, this is a huge gift to this congregation. And I think it is a huge gift. And if it's a successful experience, it could be a huge gift to all of Unitarian Universalism. Marlon asked the people in his congregation to really bless one another. Pearson says, as he preached also at All Souls, we're all versions of each other and verses in each other's poems. We need each other. Now, Marlon also said that he really likes the livelier service. 
He likes those calling out, preach it, brother. Amen. So I thought maybe y'all could try it out with Ken and see how he responds to it. Preach it, sister. Amen. So Pearson found universalism and Unitarian universalism, but I wonder why we have to be found. Why should he have to have come up with a new language, the gospel of inclusion, instead of knowing about universalism? Shouldn't we be more visible? Wouldn't it be better if everyone, I think, if everyone knew about universalism, even if they didn't agree? On that public radio show, they talked about Pearson overturning 1,500 years of Christian doctrine, but there's really an equally long history of universalism. Why are we so invisible? Sometimes universalism has really been repressed and hidden. But we don't need to hide now. On the show, the announcer talked about Pearson and his New Dimension Church now going to All Souls, and they called All Souls a Unitarian church. There was no mention of universalism. Now, I want to ask you something. If for some reason you mention our denomination, please don't say you're Unitarian. Please say you're Unitarian Universalist. We don't want that universalism to be invisible. Let's keep it visible so fewer people have to go through that fear of hell and that torment that Carlton Pearson went through in his life. Ballou and Pearson were both converted to universalism. They turned around. They looked again at what they'd been taught. They read and they prayed and they chose and that's what makes them heretics. You know, on the com computer, on the Internet today, you can find blogs condemning Pearson, which didn't surprise me. He's contemporary. But you can also find blogs condemning Hosea Ballou, who's been dead for 150 years, uh, because they were heretics. So what, what's heresy? The dictionary calls heresy a doctrine or opinion at variance with established religious opinion a controversial or an unorthodox opinion but the word comes from greek heresis i think is how you say it and it means choice it's about looking at what you've been taught thinking about it testing it trying it out and making your own choices I think you have been doing that. So maybe you might say you're a heretic too. I hope that we can proudly all say with Blue and Pearson that we are heretics. Here at Wellsprings, we're encouraged to learn, to grow, to think, to feel, to worship with our hearts and our minds and our bodies. We can make our own choices. We don't have to think alike to love alike. We know we can experience the divine without being able to define God. As I researched Pearson on the Internet, I found a blog, Christian Universalism, the Beautiful Heresy. Here's its tagline. If believing that God is loving enough, powerful enough, and wise enough to save all of his creation makes me a heretic, Sign me up. I think, I think, there is a spirit alive in the world today. A spirit of love and mercy 
grace and abundance. I think that spirit has always been here and always will be. It's a spirit available to everyone, everywhere, and in every when. That's my heresy. I claim the heresy of universalism. And what about you? What's your awakening story? Your heresy. Please share your stories with each other out in the world. The world needs, really, the world needs our message of abundant love. May we be awakened to that burning bush of revelation in our own everyday life. May we feel that connection with each other and with the divine. May it be so. May each of you experience the blessing in your lives. Will you pray with me? God, God of our heart's deepest yearning, mysterious, loving spirit, I pray in gratitude for the abundance of that spirit and energy here in the Wellsprings congregation. Thank you for the charge in this group of people, for their energy, for their spirit. We pray for that Tulsa congregation that they may find soul, spirit, and wisdom in their plurality, in their varieties of religious expression, and that they may teach us as they learn. May we have the courage and the energy to let our light shine, to let our stories be told. May we feel that love universal. May it be felt and known everywhere. May we act in the spirit of that love.